now that we're friends Here is an album you would like Here is a book you would like I think you'd like my cat and also my dog Because we're friends Now that we're friends Now that we're friends Now that we're friends Now that we're friends, that we're friends. Hello and welcome to the final episode of the first season of Now That We're Friends. The podcast that takes your life questions and gives you homework. How is everyone doing this week? Great. I'm doing just jolly. Any better and I couldn't stand it. (laughs) I'm trying to, I've been saying that the last like week to my students and I keep trying to like figure out as I'm saying it like which family member I got it from. And I feel like it's one of my grandparents. I just have to figure out what it, which one. I think oh, it was probably well. granddad. You guys don't care. I care <laughs> deeply <laughs> about the expressions in your family lineage. Come on. Yeah, I'm writing them on my um, colloquial family tree <laughs> of Gail. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> How are you, Caroline? I'm good. I, uh... You ran a zoo 5K yesterday. I did. I ran a 5K at the zoo. It was pretty great. When I passed the lions, they were not out, or I couldn't see them. And when my sister passed the lions, they were having sex. And when my brother passed the lions, they were walking away from each other. So, so that's a drama in three acts. Yeah. Wow. Where were they right before? That's what I want to know. I don't know. I mean, they must have been out there, and I, I, I didn't see them, but yeah. There was no Cabrera sibling there to witness what happened There was before. no, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What if you guys had all been, this, like, running at the same time? We would have never known any of this. No, we wouldn't have. Gosh. It's a good thing yeah. wow. that our paces are staggered. <laughs> yeah. Um, my cat has been acting like a lion recently, which I don't think I've mentioned on this podcast. Tell me if I'm wrong. I don't know. Don't believe you have. I don't think I have either. So you'll have to tell us what he's been doing. I will. And (laughs) I will tell you that my and I think I've mentioned this. I like I live in the absolute like it's not the actual wild. Like I'm not like miles and miles and miles away from, you know, the world. But I am definitely in a rustic area. Right. So like driving home, I saw a bobcat like jump in front of me. It was super cool. Um, that is really cool. There are just bunnies everywhere, deer everywhere, um, and like ticks everywhere. It's mm. really fun. Um, <laughs> and, One um, big happy family. Yeah, we're all just having a great time. <laughs> and the animals love it because they can hear it, all of it happening. And so like for the first couple of days when I moved here, Petey just wouldn't, Petey is my cat, uh, wouldn't go to sleep. He never slept. He just walked around on his beat all night (laughs) and he he tends usually like in the past he's just like walked his beat and then like come to bed um but then after the first couple nights he kind of like settled down and realized that it was okay that we were all safe and he you know laid down he does this thing now which he used to do a little bit when i lived in grand rapids but he so i would in grand rapids i would find like a ball of socks on the floor or two and be like, hmm, I must have just left these socks here. And then I would clean them up. And then 
they would reappear or others would reappear. And then it turns out, and so it's like this sneaky like thing that Petey does that he just like takes socks out of the closet where my sock drawer is. And he opens up the sock drawer with his little paws and he takes out some socks and he just leaves them in the middle of the house. And he, you know, would do this and I'd be like, haha, Petey's playing with socks. We get here and like the wilderness level just gets really, really amped up. I feel like he can hear all the animals. There's a freaking rooster who wakes me up every morning at four o'clock. I can't handle it anymore. Um, today was, I think, the final day in which I was like, this isn't cute anymore. Um, <laughs> but I think he hears all that. So like his like wanting to be an, a wild animal has really been ramped up. And so I just find like since we've been here, there have just been socks strewn all over the house they get dragged and he does this like the hunting growl you know when you're like wow instead of just mm-hmm. like normal cat sounds it's like guys i'm hunting right now that's what he's yeah. saying and so i'll like hear that all through the night just all through the night and then i'll wake up and i'll find that he's dragged all of my socks out of the out of the drawer and like put them all on the on the stairs like in the middle of everything and recently i looked up like this whole thing i was like this has got to be a, some, like something that cats do. And I looked it up and apparently like, like cats do this a lot with the yowling. And it's because they are like play acting, like dragging their kill to their family. Dang. And which luckily he's not doing with real mice, right? Because like if he's actually like, hey, mom, here's a, here's a present for you. And it's a real mouse and he puts it like on my bed or in the middle of the floor. I wouldn't be very happy. But no. Got a lot of sock presents. Um, and I think it's hilarious and I think it's adorable. My favorite thing about this is that uh, when the dog and I go out so the dog can go to the bathroom, sometimes I'll hear him like the cat inside yowling and then it will come back inside and there is a sock right in front of the door when we come back in. <laughs> Which I just love because we know that like cats do this, right? Because I think we're bad hunters. And so yeah. they like... It, what, it, what it says to me is that he loves Hubble, my dog, because they don't like and I know he kind of, you know, I know they're brothers and they, you know, they fight. But it's like this whole like, look, I don't like you. I don't think you're I, you know, I'm not really thrilled you're in the house. But look, we're family. You need to eat, which is like what it seems like to me. It's so like I need to prepare for the family because he doesn't do it when like I leave. He doesn't when like the both of us leave. Which, anyway, yeah. I think it's, it's adorable, but it's also I haven't slept a normal shift in forever because I just hear constantly all through the night. <laughs> and then that rooster waking you up. And then the rooster wakes me up at 4.30. So, like, it's just – and then the dog kicks me. It's just there's, like, we all need separate beds, I think. You've got a lot going yeah. on in that menagerie, Gail. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you've got like your own little ecosystem happening in your house. Except the rooster needs to just go, what if I went and I killed the rooster? <laughs> that seems uh, morally questionable. Yeah. But he's so you know wild. What? We had, when we lived in Northampton, Massachusetts, our next door mm-hmm. neighbors had a rooster, which I had never lived in the country. Um but what I learned quickly about roosters is that they don't just crow at 4 a.m. They crow, mm-hmm. like, all through the night and all through the day. Mm-hmm. And I guess what was on our side or in our favor is that our neighborhood, we found out, was not zoned for roosters. It was only zoned for chickens. Nice. And so we called the city. And, God, I hope that rooster is okay and that they didn't, like, 
euthanize him. Well, they probably do. But, well, then, shit. For a delicious coca bottle. Yeah, I was going to make a joke about Kenny Rogers (laughs) euthanizing him, but I feel like that wasn't, like... <laughs> but that's all our rooster problem. But I imagine you living in no, the Georgia yeah. mountains are zoned for roosters. So. We are zoned for everything. But there's a llama. <laughs> there's a llama farm or an alpaca farm like I right love next that. door. So yeah. Oh, at the zoo yesterday, I was there. So after the run, I went into the zoo and I was with my brother's kids, and we went into the um, the petting zoo. And there are all these goats, and all their goats are named after the very sweet teenager who volunteered there was eagerly telling me that all the goats are named after Disney characters. So there's like Belle and Cinderella and Pocahontas. And I said, what's this one's name? She goes, Kevin. (laughs) (laughs) Which I guess is the, it's the name of like the dog from Up or something. So it still is a Disney character, Mm. but it was just so funny. I was like, oh, Kevin. (laughs) You're my favorite goat. (laughs) We need to talk about Kevin. (laughs) Oh, Kevin. Oh, we do. (laughs) That's the best. I just think in general when animals have very, like, aggressively human names. It's perfect. It's just the best. And like, I feel like I feel like the English do this the best. Like, I follow this, the Twitter, the, like, Yorkshire farmer Twitter guy who, like, names his animals. Like, his goose's name is Cuthbert. <laughs> and then there's, and then I, I call my rooster Kenneth because this is what he calls his rooster Kenneth. So he comes on, he's like, it's oh. Kenneth the rooster's birthday. Like, <laughs> it's just so, and then like I talk to, not I talk to, I am alone so much. I was going to say, I was talking to my friends on the Great British Bake Off. <laughs> I'm not talking to any friends. Um, Once during the, uh, the, I think it was the 2013 uh, playoff <laughs> NBA playoff season my sister meant to say the last time she saw something from I don't know she was talking about the the Miami Heat and she goes the last time I talked to the basketball players I was like you don't talk to them (laughs) but anyway they all like when they talk about their animals they they all have like these really like human names yeah yeah Kenneth and Cuthbert that's so good that's really good (laughs) it's still so funny (laughs) Because geese are so big and stupid. They are. Oh. My, my, my friend was telling me about these geese that live in her neighborhood, and she was describing them as like, a, she was like, oh, they're really interesting looking, and they've got these like beautiful markings around their eyes and blah, blah, blah. And then the next time I went to her house, I was going to pick her up. I had my sister with me, and we drove in. And I was like, oh, there are the hot geese Julie was talking about. And she's like, what? I'm like, she didn't describe them that way. This is me. <laughs> I'm editorializing. But aren't they kind of hot geese? <laughs> As geese go. Sure. Sure, sure, sure. And how are you? <laughs> I'm doing okay. On a goose note. My yes. husband and I just impulsively bought a Nintendo Switch. Um, oh. Well, so we've been trying to watch less TV and do more things together that don't just involve us, like, watching TV and then, like, doing things separately on our phone while we're sitting together. And he plays a lot of computer video games, um, which are not the type of video games that I like because they're like very like puzzle and strategy based. Mm, um, thank you. So I am, you know, into things like the original Nintendo and like Mario Kart and things like that. Mm-hmm, so anyway, mm-hmm. we got a Nintendo Switch and there is, is this so 
I'm sorry. Is what is a Nintendo Switch just like kind of like a Wii or? Yeah, so it's kind of like a Wii, and you can, but it's like either either handheld. So it comes with a screen, so you can like play it yourself. But also you can project it like onto the TV, and you can do multiplayers, and then that handheld actually like turns into a controller. So then you can. But anyway, it's I don't know. I don't. It's technology that's. Beyond yeah, me, I just but, don't. Yeah, I don't know what I. But never it's seen it's yeah, before. it's like one of the newer Nintendo systems. Cool. But yeah, it's you get to create like a me if you want to. So it sort of like takes that that Wii technology. But there's this game called Untitled Goose Game that <laughs> I don't know who designed, but I've been now seeing it like online everywhere. And the premise of this game is that you are a goose who gets this task list every level and the task list is like get your neighbor to spit out his tea i thought you were gonna say tea me too (laughs) or like steal this or like make a picnic out of these items which all involve you like going around and basically like harassing the townspeople and getting up to some real goose mischief just like you're just like a goose who goes around and then one of your one of your buttons is like you can honk at people and it befuddles them and that's like one of your strategies for like distracting people while you like steal things or like trap like one of them is like trap the town's boy in the phone booth and then you have to like figure out the way in the game to like get him into the phone booth it is delightful to play a mischievous goose and <laughs> is this why is this why there are all those goose memes on Twitter? Yes, probably. Okay. okay. But anyway, that's a goose note. I love all goose notes. <laughs> <laughs> so we fin- we like to start at the top with a few yeah. good goose notes. <laughs> so all that to say, I'm doing okay. Playing some video games for the first time in a long time, realizing that the reason I often don't play video games is because I get really irrationally angry and upset. And the last time we had a gaming console, which was the GameCube in like 2012, Matt bought it for me. I was playing Donkey Kong so obsessively, but then just like couldn't handle how terrible I was at this game. And basically my Donkey Kong campaign ended with me screaming at the TV, screaming at Donkey Kong, I hope you die alone. And then Matt saying like, all right, maybe, maybe you take a break from Donkey Kong. So Matt's like, Anne's had too much screen time today. Oh my God. Yeah. We're also playing this game where you are like chefs and it's like a cooperative game. Where, like, you're given, like, a soup that you have to make, and then you have to, like, figure out, like, who's going to grab the ingredients and who's going to chop them and who's going to put them into a soup. And it's, like, seemingly this calm, kind of docile, collaborative game. But I got, like, we were playing it last night. I got just, like, so stressed out and was just, like, screaming, (laughs) I don't know what I'm doing! I don't know what I'm doing! So, anyway... I don't know if that answers your question about how I'm doing, but I'm doing pretty good. And also there are video games in my life again, which are both enjoyable and somehow stress inducing. So, yeah, I liked playing those games with you and Matt, the like, you don't know Jack game. Oh yeah. Those are great. 
Yeah, and there's is that is that on your TV? Where did the where did you get those? Where that was they? when we had a PlayStation <laughs> as nice. our just like um oh stream, like a DVD streaming thing or service. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, those games are fun. Um, and there's like drawful where you get to I like, like anything draw, that picture. where like you don't have competitive. Yeah. Like and a, those yeah. are like meant yeah, those are meant yeah. to be fun. Um, and not cuz I games. not cuz I I go overboard on competitiveness, but because I do the exact opposite. I go, "Oh, if it involves a competition, I'm not really all that in, yeah. like I'm out." I got No, go. those are that it's that like Jackbox thing. It's really good cuz it's just like party games that Nice. Yeah. I oh, love I've party played games. Best you can't really, really get fun. you can't really get that upset. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, otherwise nice. things are good. It's finally um fallish here. The last two days have been in the 60s. And great. the leaves are changing, and I'm just excited because our AC has been broken, yeah. and we thought it would be okay, but it's just been hot because of DC and climate change, and so now we can finally be upstairs yeah. in our house without sweating, so that's good. And it's like prime Indian summertime. Yeah, we, I woke up this morning, and it was like in the 50s. I was thrilled. Yeah, it's awesome. Think of it as roughly seventy eight. Yeah. When I woke up this morning. Yeah. <laughs> well, but you know what? I'm not complaining. Yeah. Yeah. No, I have to drive two hours to go to Target. So. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Should we? Uh, should we listen to our question? From Let's the do class? it. Let's do it. Okay. Cool. Hi, ladies. This is Dylan, and I have baby fever. <laughs> Um, my partner and I have been trying for what feels like forever, and we're still, still not pregnant, still no babies, um, and I think it's just been really difficult, especially because I, I work with families and kids and new mommies, and so I can't help but just think about when when you know when when I get to have children and and all of those wonderful things and I'm just starting to wonder uh I guess I'm just changing the when to if 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 it happens and I'm just struggling with the idea of my narrative uh, as a as a woman is not going my maybe not going to be a mom um, and, uh, I don't really know what to do about that. Um, so I love to hear your take on things. Um, I love your podcast and thanks for listening to my question. Thanks, Dylan. Dylan's question really, I'm really glad, Dylan, that you called in with this question. I think it gives us so much to think and talk about. And it really makes me feel just a lot for you, Dylan. Yeah. Just a lot of empathy and love for you. Yeah, same. Well, I think it's, I mean, it it reminds me of just how, I mean, in any sort of way we're, we have the way that we think our life is going to go or the things that are supposed to be easy or the things that are supposed to kind of fall naturally for us. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes they just don't. And you know, you kind of feel like you want to just stay stagnant in that, but it's not fair place for a little bit. And then it's like you kind of have to figure out then what to do when things aren't what you feel like they're going to be, or like that when things aren't 
easy for you or things aren't natural for you as you feel like they should be or they should have been. Yeah. Yeah. And especially when you see, I mean, this question of, especially when it, when it comes to like something like motherhood, when I think it's, it's so hard not to look around you and see so many people who just easily became mothers who didn't have to go through this struggle. And I think that, I mean, there's so much to unpack here. I think there's sort of also a cultural stigma around women not really being able, or it's sort of taboo to talk about how difficult issues of like fertility and mm-hmm. and motherhood are that because of like cultural norms or the way that we're conditioned, there's just a lot that we're not really supposed to talk about. It lays a lot open about, yeah, what your life, what you what you want your life to be but isn't, issues around, like, narrative, different narratives as a woman wanting children, maybe not wanting children, and what that, I don't know, what, what any of that can mean in a society mm-hmm. that has really kind of difficult tropes to navigate as Anne actually really beautifully articulated, there's so many outside pressures around this issue, but then there's so much internal pressure that Mm -hmm. I think you inevitably put on yourself as well. And so it's just a really, and especially if you work with kids as part of your job, it's like you don't really have a break from this. It's something that you're constantly aware of, whether it's coming from outside or inside. And, And so it's super tough to deal with. Yeah. When we're often the ones who are right, who are like thinking that we have a narrative also. I mean, I know that like we're talking about stigma, but stick. I know that we're talking about stigma, but there's like this, I feel like so much of the pressures on our lives and our narratives are the ones that we feel like we should have had or have for ourselves. Yes, absolutely. If it's all right with you guys. I would like to start our recommendations with a poem that I thought of just like immediately when I read this that I think, I don't know. I just think it might be a good starting place for our conversation. Yeah, please. So I would like to recommend the poem Vessel for Purpose by Leora Friedman. Mm Mm-hmm. So her first book, My Fault, is really wonderful. This poem does not appear in her book. It's just, it's online at uh, realpants.com. But I think, Dylan, you'd probably love her book as well. But this poem really speaks to your current situation. Vessel for Purpose. I am coming on an age where I have no babies instead of no nothing. A woman grows old. It comes up. My pieces are compiling, never built. Essential is the rest. For example, the beers are no belly. M says this is brave. I am reparenting myself. I say this is my lazy lord failing to grow up. I hate her for having no business to attend to but folk business. A project of loving arises and goes. Loving, I call you my namesake because I have no child. Loving, She is such a stupid healer. Heal thyself, wrench thyself by those bootstraps of minutia and pray, pray that something alive will come of this. That's gorgeous. Yeah, I love that poem. It's honestly probably my favorite poem of Leora's that I've ever read. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and it's something a project that, of loving sorry oh yes yeah. the project of loving arises and goes I think that line is so beautiful but even just that first line I am coming on an age where I have no babies instead of no nothing I think that really uh, Lior does is such a good job in this poem of talking about both those external pressures around motherhood choosing to be a mother struggling to become a mother choosing not to be a mother and struggling with people's expectations about that all of that but then also the internal angst and discomfort here is so clear I just I love that poem and I think it's so beautiful mm-hmm. yeah. Damn. I think even looking at just the title of this poem vessel for purpose yeah mm-hmm. the way that because I think something that I've that we hear all the time or that women express is this feeling of feeling let down by your body mm-hmm. and feeling like your body should have this like capacity that then it's not realizing Mm-hmm. But then also there's this really kind of sexist, misogynistic way that people sometimes dismiss women who choose not to be mothers as like, oh, well, you're not fulfilling like your biological destiny or something. So that, mm-hmm. that phrase vessel for purpose is just like so barbed as the title of this poem. I just think it's really brilliant. Yeah. I mean, this the, the like continued theme of women being open vessels of nothingness or like something mm-hmm. to be put into or something to hold something else and like right. the inverse it, instead of something that's coming that like is a thing that exists right where like rooms as opposed to existing being opposed to what goes in rooms yeah right <laughs> <laughs> the actual things in rooms yeah uh tables chairs couches whatever you want um <laughs> Yeah, but it also, so like that really reminds me of the, so I'm I'm not recommending Ada Lamonks. I, I feel like I, I've, I've done that probably kind of in a similar way, but I, the, there's a quote in one of the poems, I can't remember what poem, but in her book, The Carrying, which again, thinking like, it makes me think so much about like vessel and carrying. Um, she says, what if instead of carrying a child, I'm supposed to carry grief? And like the whole book is just, you know, dealing with that. And I, I, but the, I really want to highlight, like, I think the quote itself is something that like most of my thoughts are kind of revolving around because it, it makes me think about this feeling of intention and like caring is nurturing and, and being a vessel for something is, you know, it has all of these things behind it, but it's also like this idea of like an intentional nurturing. And it's like what you decide to spend that, on and it makes me think about and I know that like that question uh isn't hopefully you're not someone who just carries grief all the time but it did get me kind of thinking about the things that we can the things that we can choose to nurture and the things that we can choose to to pay pay attention to and hold right because there's I think that like that word carrying is is so much like that where it's like you can be a vessel which can be a negative thing and it makes you feel kind of empty if it's not there but also you get to you can I guess if if I'm going to just follow this without knowing where I'm going, but like you can choose what you're going to put in it and you can choose what you can, can nurture. And so that's kind of the, I don't know, that's kind of in the theme I've been thinking about. And so I like, I love that you brought that poem up, Caroline, because it reminds me a lot of that, that quote. Yeah. I love that too. And Gail, you are not recommending Ada Limon, but (laughs) I am recommending Ada Limon. And I'm not unrecommending her. (laughs) And... We have both recommended her before on this podcast. We have. Well, she's great. <laughs> she's great. But also, like you said, her newest book, The Carrying, I mean, deals 
very explicitly with a Mm -hmm. lot of Dylan's question around motherhood and around questions of, you know, what does it mean to be a woman who is maybe not going to be um, a mother and Ada Limon is very much in this collection, the carrying, struggling with infertility and writing very directly about it. But then also, like you said, this idea of what other things we carry and what other things that women carry societally, but also, right, there's this greater idea too in here about nurturing. Um, So not to just basically parrot what you just said, but you quoted a poem that I was going to read. I was like, so. oh, I wonder if I... Yeah, no, 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 sorry. No, I no, I think that's perfect. Um, I would like to read two poems, if that's okay. One's a little longer. It's only two pages. Um, one's pretty short um, from The Carrying. But I think, Dylan, that this is a book that um, can really help you kind of piece this together for yourself. Um, it's, it's, it's one way, um, through the lens of a person who has gone through something very similar. This poem is called The Vulture and the Body. On my way to the fertility clinic, I pass five dead animals. First a raccoon with all four paws to the sky, like he's going to catch whatever bullshit load falls on him next. Then a grown coyote his golden-furred body soft against the white cement lip of the traffic barrier. Trickster no longer, an eye closed to what's coming. Close to the water tower that says, Florence, y'all, which means I'm near Cincinnati, but still in the bluegrass state, and close to my exit, I see three dead deer, all staggered but together, and I realize as I speed past in my death machine that they are a family. I say something to myself that's between a prayer and a curse. How dare we live on this earth? I want to tell my doctor about how we all hold a duality in our minds. Futures entirely different, footloose or forged. I want to tell him how lately it's enough to be reminded that my body is not just my body, but that I'm made of old stars and so is he. And that last Tuesday, I sat alone in the car by the post office and just was for a whole hour, no one knowing how to find me, until I got out, the sound of the car door shutting like a gun, and mailed letters, all of them saying, thank you. But in the clinic, the sonogram wand showing my follicles, he asks if I have any questions and says, things are getting exciting. I want to say, but what about all the dead animals? But he goes quicksilver, and I'm left to pull my panties up like a big girl. Some days there is a violent sister inside of me and a red ladder that wants to go elsewhere. I drive home on the other side of the road, going south now. The white coat has said I'm ready, and I watch as a vulture crosses over me, heading toward the carcasses I haven't properly mourned or even forgiven. What if, instead of carrying a child, I am supposed to carry grief? The great black scavenger flies parallel now, each of us speeding, intently and driven, toward what we've been taught to do with death. Mm. I just... 
I had difficulty getting through this poem just reading it out loud. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to say too much about it. I think the poem does a lot of work. I think, and something I really liked about how you framed that poem before you read it was talking about nurturing and like what we, what we nurture. And I think, Dylan, something that might actually be making this whole situation feel more raw to you is that it sounds like you are a nurturer naturally Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you you know you work with children you work with I even loved the way you put it new mommies like you're very obviously caring about the people you work with and you obviously work in a in an environment that requires nurturing of you probably because that's a natural thing for you And I think that probably makes this issue even more present on your mind. But I think, I don't know how much solace it gives, but mothering is not the only valuable type of nurturing that we do. Right. And I think that you sound like a wonderful, powerful nurturing force in your community And that that's something that, I don't know, maybe just a perspective shift while you're feeling, when you're feeling down about these things is to think of ways in which, ways in which you are fulfilling that expectation for yourself. Um, Yeah. Because that's a really beautiful thing. It is. Can I read one more Ada Limon poem that also speaks to nurturing? Awesome. It's called Trying. I'd forgotten how much I like to grow things. I shout to him as he passes me to paint the basement. I'm trellising the tomatoes in what's called a Florida weave. Later, we try to knock me up again. We do it in the guest room because that's the extent of our adventurism in a week of violence in Florida and France. Afterward, the sun still strong, though lowering inevitably to the horizon, I check on the plants in the back, my fingers smelling of sex and tomato vines. Even now, I don't know much about happiness. I still worry and want an endless stream of more, but some days I can see the point in growing something, even if it's just to say I cared enough. As someone with with two animals and I want more, and I'm being really flippant here, but that's definitely, I mean, I, I, I love that poem just this yeah sorry go ahead no no it's <laughs> as your dog pops as up. my dog is trying to jump up and talk into the microphone hi baby hi. i just there's just so much she packs into a poem like that about wanting and growing and nurturing and Focusing on, I mean, this book, too, she talks a lot about gardening as sort of her mechanism, too, for for focusing on a purpose that, for her, is not motherhood and how that is sufficient and insufficient. And I think it's just, there's no easy, there's no easy answer here. There's no answer. But Dylan, I think you really need this collection the carrying oh yeah by ada limon 
I want to pop in here because one of my suggestions, it's not, one of my recommendations is not for a, you know, particular song or book or poem or anything, but I just think that um, something that I know lots of women express when they're going through this experience is feeling a lot of displeasure with their body and feeling a lot of frustration and kind of not really appreciating their body and feeling angry or or upset or let down by their body. And I think that finding something that you can do that will help you to appreciate your body and all the things it is capable of Mm -hmm. and all the things you can do with it and all the ways it does serve you and kind of forgive yourself and feel... Because like... We can all hear it a million times that like, oh, there's no reason you should feel guilt or shame or whatever, but it's very different when yeah. you're experiencing those things. Yeah. Um, and you can't tell your body that if yeah. you like your brain, like you can't just be yeah. like, oh, okay. So I think like the things that I naturally gravitate towards are like, oh, you know, go for a run, feel how strong you are or whatever. <laughs> but like whatever it is for you, maybe it is something like gardening, that like really physical work or something that will allow you maybe it's sex maybe it's buying yourself some clothes that make you feel amazing in your skin like yeah just go to a nudist beach oh yeah yeah Yeah. like I think it could be a very Dylan depending on what you're into and what like kind of your relationship existing relationship with your body is if you can find ways to kind of honor your body and all the things that it that you do appreciate all the things that it it is, you know, doing for you and that you can love about it. I think that that might help you balance out some of the, I'm assuming, disappointment you're feeling with your Mm -hmm. body right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Michelle Obama just wrote a book called Becoming, (laughs) which I have not yet read, but I have... um, Seen She's a real inter- up-and-comer. <laughs> she, I don't know. You may not have heard of her. <laughs> but um, I have seen, I've watched some interviews with her in which she talks about the book. And one of the things that she really kind of wanted to, wanted to talk about in her book was her issues with infertility and, and her struggles to become pregnant and she really wanted to kind of dispel this stigma around like not only women with infertility issues but women who don't feel like they can talk about it and she says in this in this um in this interview it's actually a good morning america interview she says the worst thing we do to each other as women is not share the truth about our bodies how they work and how they don't work. And I just think that is so true. And she is coming out with her story about how she and Barack Obama, you know, um, how they met, how he was actually her plan B, which I find hilarious because she talks about like, you know, I had this checklist in my head about you know, what I wanted to do with my life. I went to college and then I was like, okay, what do I do now? I'm going to go to law school. Okay, cool. Um, I got into Harvard. Now I'm a practicing lawyer and I'm a strong black woman and I don't need no man. And I mean, she says, she says all this in the interview. 
Um, and then she's like, and then Barack Obama came along and like messed it up. So it's also a really oh, interesting poor, way. Poor Michelle. I know, right? <laughs> but it's also funny to think about like I, yeah, she is. is she is also she's just like a powerhouse in her own right. Um, yes. And had a very successful life before she met Barack Obama and was actually his boss, which is great. But she talks very openly about her struggles to have children and how she went through fertility treatments and had a miscarriage. And there was so much just kind of silence around the issues of fertility. Like, she didn't know how common it was. She felt like a failure. She felt like her body was a failure. And she talks about this, like, all these women, right, who have this in common. Like, fertility is not easy. There are all these women out there who are, like, sitting in their own pain, thinking that they're broken. Mm -hmm. And... I mean, that's what stories do. We talk about the things that happen, and when we erase the things that don't, it seems as if they haven't ever happened. And when it's a thing that doesn't happen or when it's a thing that, like, isn't, I don't want to say produced because I don't want to make a, a kid be, like, a product, but, like, when something isn't, when something doesn't come into form, it feels like it, when when you're only in your narrative talking about the things that are existing and you do never mention the gaps or the things that aren't there, then it's so hard to think that, like, all the narrative is is the stuff that's there. And, like, everyone's just having kids all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And this exactly. is just such – this is such a common thing. Like, all the – I'm going on a little bit of a rant here, but all <laughs> of the <laughs> – get ready. <laughs> all of the topics that we were raised to not talk about, all the things that are taboos are things that the status quo is in some way – um, reinforced by us not talking about them. So like mm-hmm. when we when none of us talk about money, then people don't know, hey, you know what? That person who is, you know, doing the same job as me but is a different race or a different gender is making twice as much as me and there's mm-hmm. no way to make those things right. Or like if we don't talk about race, that doesn't mean it's not an issue. And I think that we've, if that wasn't abundantly clear already, then the last few years, the election forward have made it very clear that just because we weren't talking about race explicitly didn't mean that those issues weren't still there. And I think that in a different way, the same thing is true when we talk about things like, I mean, when we talk about things like abortion Mm -hmm. or fertility or miscarriages that no one, because they're things we're not supposed to talk about, everyone thinks they're much more rare than they are. Yeah. And that it can make you feel a lot a lot less alone, right? Mm-hmm. If you know I'm not the I'm not the only person, you know, and not just I'm not the only person because obviously, but like I I actually have many cl- close friends maybe who have had miscarriages or had trouble conceiving or whatever. But then also, not only do you feel less alone, but you have a framework for support, obviously. Mm-hmm. But then also, it just it takes out some of that negative pressure you've been putting on yourself that it's just mm-hmm. you or it's just your problem. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's something, too, to remember, Dylan, that there are so many narratives like yours, and there is power in them, and there is community in them. Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite poems uh, is by a friend of mine that I think, Dylan, I'm not sure how much it would speak to this exact situation, but I think it does for me kind of. I mean, I guess I can just read the poem. So this poem is called The Untelling, and it's by Alicia Rebecca Myers. And 
it's kind of this to me it shows not only the feeling of of quote-unquote barrenness or even the fact that like why are we considered fields when they're infertile or barren right or like fallow like mm-hmm. why are women fields I don't you know do we have to be producing soybeans all the time yeah or corn yeah <laughs> we're back to the, we're back uh, to the yeah. vessel for purpose so there's yeah. that yeah there's this feeling of, of not being a vessel for purpose but then there's also just this the poem that the reason I you know again I'm just gonna read the poem and then I'll explain why I think it's great do it. All right. Do it up, Gail. The untelling. I was a well, and then I wasn't. I shook a rain stick. It turned out to be a telescope. I put it to my eye anyway, grew accustomed to distance. A client writes to say he needs to go to Nats, France. You mean not, I reply. This uptick in luck was really just a fluke. We're looking at once was and where it once was, that blithe star whose light of death has reached us. I must have said this time a dozen different times just to take it back. My barista asked why the sudden switch to decaf. You ask if blue can be a naturally occurring color. Maybe in stones, I say. I lied when I told you that I didn't hide the egg timer. The recipe called for jujube, not plum. Summarily, my belly knew. And so to me, this poem is not just the kind of feeling of that I think it, it shows so well of this kind of, you know, I'm holding something and now I'm not. This kind of feeling of, of what is my body doing right now and am I able to carry something and, and what, you know, whether I can talk about it. But there's so much of this internal dialogue and everything happening here is internal. Even the kind of dialogue is, it's in italics, it's not an actual dialogue, it's talking to the self. Everything is kind of so inward that it reminds me of just none of this is being really told, right? And so everything is kind of backwards telling and it reminds me of the the like how we sit alone with what we think are our failures or what's happening or what's not happening and how we're always with our bodies all the time and Mm -hmm. it feels like this conversation we're having with our bodies all the time but it's silent and nobody knows about it and it I think this poem does that so well um and I just love it I love how the title plays with that word telling because I think like when we talk about um when, when we use the phrase like, oh, I thought that was really telling, we're, we are referencing something that is unsaid or implicit mm-hmm. um, versus that more overt form of the word tell, which I think is, that's just way to go, Alicia, Rebecca Myers. Right. God, so good. <laughs> um, I have quite a few things that are in that vein that you were talking about, Gail, at the beginning of just life not working out the, the way you thought um, and dealing with that. And the first one that I want to recommend is the documentary TIG, Mm. which is available on Netflix. And it's about the brilliant uh, comedian Tig Notaro. So I I actually, I just, I am obsessed with Tig Notaro. I think that she is super amazing. Um, But I'll give you a, a brief little rundown, Dylan, in case you're not familiar with her. Tig was a working comedian when she ran into a series of unfortunate events personally she had um she had c diff which is a super aggressive uh bacterial infection in the intestines that almost killed her she got broken up with during that time and then her mother died and all of this happened in like a very short period of time and then tig was diagnosed with cancer and right after i think actually the day of or the day after 
her cancer diagnosis, she was um, she was scheduled to do a set at Largo in um, L.A., which is a comedy club. And she, instead of doing the set she had prepared, went, on, went there and talked about what was going on in her life. And it is real and raw and beautiful and freaking hilarious. And it was recorded and then releases an album called Tignataro Live. And that kind of set her into a different echelon as far as like being noticed for her comedy. Um, though I had first heard of her when she was featured on an episode of This American Life telling <laughs> a hilarious story about the 80s pop star Taylor Dane. It's amazing. Um, but then like it seemed like Tig was everywhere and she's had amazing things like she... Um, she wrote a series loosely based off of these experiences in her life, or not loosely, like pretty closely based off these experiences in her life called One Mississippi that had a season on Amazon and then was tragically canceled after, you know, after one season. But it was amazing. Um, but and she's had her most recent comedy special on Netflix, which I can't remember the name of, is also really, really, really funny. But what I want to recommend to you is her this documentary tick and it's all about her kind of dealing with those things in her life and then moving forward after her cancer diagnosis and double mastectomy and it shows her like dealing in the aftermath of this dealing with her cancer diagnosis and then her double mastectomy navigating a new relationship with the actress and comedian stephanie allen um and then also their struggle to have children and also her struggle to embrace her body post mastectomy which is super interesting and fraught because like she's she's queer and she's pretty like her style is very androgynous and so she talks about how like her relationship with her breasts was not was already a little bit weird but then when Mm -hmm. they were gone then it's weird like there's just she she's so open and so herself in this documentary and it just is kind of a masterclass in seeing someone deal with all the things that life throws at you that make you maybe change course in a way you hadn't anticipated and doing so with like, I'm going to bring up a word that we used a lot a few weeks ago with grace. <laughs> and that, that grace includes her being pretty accepting of herself mm-hmm. and how she's coming into these challenges and I just think you'd really enjoy this documentary. Every everything about it is great, and then also anything else Tig Notaro has done is going to be perfect. I think. Mm-hmm. There's also really an episode good. of uh, there's an episode of Two Dope Queens where they had Tig Notaro on to give them advice, and they I think they had like listeners at, call in with advice, and they they would give answers, but then they would have Tig give answers as well, and both <laughs> Jessica and Phoebe give kind of like flippant whatever answers, and then Tig is just giving like the best life advice. <laughs> So that's another wonderful Tig Notaro thing. Tig is also on an episode of uh, Do You Need a Ride, which is, it's also really funny. Oh, that sounds perfect. (laughs) Yeah, it's great. Um, She's also really funny on Twitter, so if you don't follow her on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Like, I I really, anything Tig Notaro, you cannot go wrong, is how I feel. (laughs) I have sort of a lighter recommendation, and it's less to do directly with your... um, particular question Dylan but it still fits into this this idea of rewriting your narrative and 
grappling with that and how it's something that really a lot of people have to do in a lot of different ways. And there was recently a This American Life episode that actually aired, I think, in 2002, but they just re-aired it um, a couple weeks ago called Plan B um, that I think you should listen to. It basically, you know, takes all these stories, um, I think there are five in this one, in which people are sort of living their living their plan B. There's one narrated by um, John, John Hodgman, who encounters this um, basically like Jose Cuervo representative who, um, it turns out like, he originally, I think he went to like Stanford or something like that, but now he's like this, his plan B is like he's Cuervo man and he gets paid to like <laughs> travel the country to basically like party with people and get paid to do it. There's another one in which this guy um, who was really successful but lost a lot of money on investments he gets hooked on painkillers he his plan b is to decide to kidnap um frank sinatra jr um these are you know plan c these right (laughs) (laughs) there but there are also you know there are so there are more like tender stories in here too um this one of their producers, Starly Kine, talks about becoming friends with a woman. Um, but as an adult, like it's hard to make new friends. And as like working women, they were finding it really hard to find time to just like hang out and get to know each other. And so, what Starly's new friend starts to do is basically make Starly like these tapes or CDs basically just like recount recapping her life that Starling can listen to so that they can like start to get to know each other on a more like expedited basis and so she, like one of her tapes is just like here are all of my ex relationships and why they were terrible and where I am today and it's just like a really funny episode, but there are like, you know, ridiculous plots. There are some tender plots, but it's all the whole episode is basically talking about how it's really common. And most of us, I think, don't land on plan A. Um, we end on plan B or C or D or Z. And um, it's human. And mm-hmm. I want you to remember <laughs> that, you know, I'm recommending this sort of off-kilter thing, but we're all humans and in some sense trying to rewrite our narratives. And Mm -hmm. um, it can be really difficult. And sometimes it's fun and sometimes it's devastating. But we can all kind of meet somewhere um, and we can definitely talk about it. Yeah. Dylan, meet us for coffee somewhere. We can talk you, about it. <laughs> you brought that one in like uh, Captain Sully Ann. Just yeah, that was, <laughs> that's really what, yeah, you, yeah, good job. Um, so Dylan, I, I, I have recommendations for you, but I can't, I felt like I couldn't recommend them without diving deep into a little Gale thought um, or a little, <laughs> little Gale time because I, yeah, it's hard to explain without kind of explaining how I kind of thought about this. 
Um, so I know in, in past episodes of the podcast, I talked about like how it's um, being kind of spinstery, you know, single, what for what feels like forever. Um, when for everyone else, it kind of seems really natural. Um, and like, it's not even like I've chosen a career over marriage or anything like that. Cause I, everybody I know who's done the same career has also gotten married or found a partner. Um, and so it feels really kind of unfair that I, I, or that something's inherently wrong with me that I haven't done this like natural thing. That seems to be something that like, that doesn't involve a lot of thought. Right. Um, and so it feels, it feels powerless. It feels like a betrayal of some kind of like bigger, bigger thing. Um, but I think what the interesting thing is, so like my plan, I, it wasn't like it was a plan. I never planned on having a partner or anything. It was just like, well, I'm just going to do the thing that everyone does and everything should seem natural. And then kind of things didn't go as naturally as you would think that they would. So it feels, it feels a little bit like, you know, I'm, I'm a little broken or a little wrong. But the thing is, is this is kind of where I think we're, when we're talking about plan B's or rewriting your own narrative, um, is that the actually the best thing about rewriting your own narrative is that you can be intentional and you can figure out what your intentions are. Mm-hmm. Um, so like for me, um, in the last probably year or so, I've kind of had this thought of like, Gail, this is a, you know, now time is a little bit pressure. Like, do you want to have kids? Is this a thing that you want to do? Or is it, you know, is it going to be a thing that, that like you may not care about in however many years? And just what it's made me do is kind of realize what my priorities are. And it's like, yeah, I, I really want to be, I really want to be a mom. And I want to be a mom more than I want to meet a partner, honestly. Um, I think that's been f- pretty true all my life. But like, I, it's made me really realize, because before it just seemed so natural. It was like, I didn't even have to think about whether I wanted to, to have kids or not. It was just... Yeah, well, when eventually I'll have kids, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Yeah. And so what it's made me do is think about the priority it is that like, okay, so then if that's going to be a priority, then I have to plan for it. And so then it's like, okay, well, you know, we can, you know, I'm still like, yeah, I can still think of things, but like, let's start like thinking about some ways to be intentional about this. Because like having, having a kid naturally with a partner doesn't have to be the way to go. And if that, if like being a mother is the thing that is important, then like there are always ways to do that. And if it's, you know, if there, and there, I'm sure there are like 19 other tendrils about like that kind of wish that that can be fulfilled or you can find other ways to fulfill it. But like, I've just been kind of thinking about like, you know, this, what are, what are you going to be carrying? Like, what is the thing that you, that like is going to feel like you're nurturing or what is the. Kind of like, what's your path towards this? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Or like, what is, yeah. What is your figure out what that kernel of whatever this experience is that you want and need and that and I think it can sometimes really clarify exactly what it is that you that you want to have and so for me it's been I've been kind of like it's been okay yeah so now what are we going to do here my priorities and so I've been thinking a lot about um for you Dylan ways to be a parent without having biological children or even without going through normal like quote unquote you know all the like normal process that we're thinking about um and the ways that we can be parents and mothers um in in our lives outside of it so um the first person i thought of when i was kind of thinking about this um was uh mrs weasley um in harry potter 
and I'm like gonna cry just thinking about I, I like know. was crying even when I like thought of this I was like oh my god Mrs. Wizzy and then the other person I'll talk about in a second I was just done um but I think it might be really interesting I don't know if interesting is the right word it might be really lovely <laughs> for you to go back and maybe read the first or second Harry Potter books and think about um sorry why am I doing <laughs> this is weird this is not me um it's okay I know it's a little bit me I know yeah, this is but this so is much you no this is never me um but what it is it, my mother would come in and go you hadn't had enough sleep um because I don't also, actually ever have emotions I mean I know these are real emotions but like I, do, I only ever show emotion when I haven't slept like even over-tired. when I was a baby yeah um it's also so, a very okay. emotional it is no and I'm like opening up and yeah you're being vulnerable it's okay I'm being intentional yes (laughs) Um, so I think going back uh Dylan and looking at the first couple books of Harry Potter and um looking at the way that Mrs. Weasley um parents Harry in a way that he never um was able to be parented before and how she she has like a million kids right that's like you know it may seem like, oh, Mrs. Weasley, she just has all these kids and she's just this natural mom, where it's like, yeah, she is a natural mom, but not because she has all of these kids, but because she took Harry in without a question. And she took him in as her own. She gave him food immediately. She knew that he needed um, just to be taken care of. She like could sense that he had been abused, pretty much, and uh, needed, needed someone to care about him and only him. And like no one had ever done that before. And I just think it's it's something to think about. And the way that just I mean, she mothers everybody, right? Like all of her children. But with Harry and especially. She's the one in the later books when things get really tense and tough for Harry, um, and for all of them, and there are all these risky things that like Dumbledore and other people expect Harry to do. And like all the people in the Order of the Phoenix are like, Oh yeah, Harry's gonna do this. And she is the only one to kind of step up and be like, hey, wait now, he's just a boy. Yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, ultimately Harry has to go off and do the risky things. But she is, she's that mother protector. Even even the other people, Dumbledore, Sirius Black, who we see as kind of like stand-in protectors for Harry, they don't do They're that not. the way yeah. that, that she does. Yeah. They all kind of treat him as this, like, as as another human. And mothers don't treat right. people like other humans. They treat well, them as as... They're nurturing them, which, like, we don't nurture everybody, if that well, makes and sense. Well, wow. there's this attitude that because Harry is, like, special and has gone yeah. through all this stuff that he's not a child. But when yeah. he is a child, when deserving he's actually of just a protection. child. Yeah. 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 And that, like, oh, and not just that, like, good. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> but, like, I was just thinking about that, like, I don't know, because I think when I think of like my favorite kinds of moms, I'm thinking of Mrs. Weasley, then I'm like, the thing that makes her a mom is not that she's like mean to Jenny, not mean to Jenny, but like, you know, that she, (laughs) that she's like kind of annoying to Jenny or that she like tells Ron that he, you know, needs to do this. Or it's like the fact that like Harry can walk into their house and that's his home. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which I just love. Um, That was beautiful, Gail. Oh, thanks. (laughs) It's going to get even worse. Um, <laughs> and I'm going to breeze past this because I think if I go too far into this, I'll just lose it. Um, the other kind of pair I was thinking about is, um, Nora and Pete and Pete's dragon, um, where Pete, I can't do it, 
where Pete comes in and again, he's this abused little boy and has known nothing but being like a he's been like a worker for this the Gogan family and he's been treated like shit his whole life. And Nora wasn't planning on having kids. Her plan A was totally now plan B. Whatever that, you know, the phrase is when you, you know, her plan A was thwarted. Let's put it mm-hmm. that way. Yes. She's on to plan B. She is now on to plan B. Or like she's in that stasis part when I was kind of like that I was I'm talking about where it's like, no, this isn't fair. Like I'm kind of in this place where like I haven't, I'm just kind of sitting with this hasn't happened for me. It super sucks. What do I do with it? And that's where we meet Nora is in the lighthouse with her dad, Mickey Rooney, um, which I wish I lived in a lighthouse with my dad, Mickey Rooney. <laughs> Um, do you? <laughs> I well, he's dead now, so maybe not. Um, don't put that in. <laughs> um, don't put any of this in. Just take me out of the whole podcast. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, so she's living in a lighthouse with Mickey Rooney, her um, husband Paul. Um, no, her fiance Paul. I'm so sorry. Her fiance Paul um, was uh, shipwrecked like years ago. And she's kind of still trying to, like, she's, uh, you know, just kind of like, well, what do I do now? She's sort of still waiting for Paul. She sings Candle on the Water because she's looking for Paul. And spoiler alert, Paul does come back in the end. But I think it's important that what if he doesn't? I think Paul's cool, but, like, also what if he doesn't? But anyway, the point is, is that she never planned on being, like, a mom. Like, she wasn't, like, planning for any of this. And this, like, little orphan kid, like, she finds him in a cave with his imaginary dragon, Elliot. And then they sing It's Not Easy. Which is... Which I'm not even going to think about. Yeah, I'm not even going to think about. We're going to breeze right past it. Can I just say that part, though? That Fine, all I'm not listening. Pete's, Pete's singing about how he has his dragon, and they're like, it's not easy to find someone who cares. It's not easy to find magic in pairs. And it's all about the dragon until the very end, where he says... I once had one friend. I, 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 I once had one yeah. friend by my side. Now I have two. Him and you, and she says him and me, him and, and then me. together they say, and it's so easy. But like it becomes about them at the like, it's about them the whole time because the dragon's imaginary. But at the end, it becomes explicitly about the two of them, and it's just so yeah. sweet. My sister and, and the I used whole to sing time. It before bed. <laughs> yeah, and the whole time, which I think is like, she's just like they're getting ready for bed. Yeah. And she's making sure that he's got a place to sleep at night. And, like, that's what mothering is. <laughs> anyway, right? It's, I'm just, guys, I'm going to kill it. And then I have one more. <laughs> I've got, I've got. No, I mean, I have several. I have guys. one more mother is what I'm trying. I have so many more. I have one more okay, mother. Okay. okay, go for it. Um, the last, the last kind of, like, parenting mother I want to talk about um, is, and this is maybe a book that I just think everybody should read. We, I don't think anybody reads it enough. So here's that. Um, and it is a book called Little Men by Louisa May Alcott. Oh. And it is about Joe and Professor Bear um, when they're older. And they have, a, they have that school in Plumfield that, that she like had all this money for and was like, I'm going to build a school. And I don't think they have any natural children, but this school is like, they're Mr. and Mrs. Bear. Like, they're the ones who are taking care of the school. And they take in all of, I don't know why I'm all into, like, orphan boys. But, like, I'm sure there are orphan girls out there, too. But, like, <laughs> all of my three moms take care of orphan boys. <laughs> Gail, that makes me think of the end of Hamilton. Um, mm-hmm. Who lives, who dies, who tells your story. When Eliza's like, oh, God, kill me. Let me tell you what I'm proudest of. <laughs> yeah. Just kill me. So, <laughs> and this is, I mean, because I think, like, Joe... 
ever since in Little Women, she she had a different narrative for herself. And like her mom knew she had a different narrative. And like all Joe wanted to be was Marmy, but Marmy and Joe both knew that she couldn't be Marmy. And she had to kind of find her own way and tackle her own demons and figure out what she needed to work on. And um, now, of course, it's a little like heteronormative and it's a little, you know, whatever. But they end up, I mean, it's kind of not. She's like owns a school. Which is kind of great. And they have all these boys. So like the beginning of Little Men is a boy coming in and like being like, hey, I'm a starving little kid. I need my haircut. Like, can I come in? I want to work. I want to like learn stuff at your school. And, and then all of a sudden it was just like, and so the way that they, that the way that like Louisa Malcott, LMA, likes to talk about the, about Joe and Professor Bear is that they're, they're just like the parents of this school. And that to me is like, that's Joe's, that's what Joe figured out, what her intention was, was like, she may not, she may not be able to, or didn't want to have children of her own, but like being the headmistress of this little school where she takes in wayward kids and like her sister's kids, but like a lot of other, a lot of little men, um, then like that's her calling. And so I have two little quotes. Mrs. Joe sat smiling over her book as she built castles in the air, just as she used to when a girl, only then they were for herself. And now they were for other people, which is the reason perhaps that some of them came to pass in reality. For charity is an excellent foundation to build anything upon. And then, I just love this. <laughs> this is like, I read this quote and I was like, this is a really stupid quote to get teary eyed about. And I was, so whatever. <clears throat> July had come and haying begun. The little gardens were doing finely and the long summer days were full of pleasant hours. The house stood open from morning till night and the lads lived out of doors except at school time. The lessons were short and there were many holidays. <laughs> That's not even the sad part. <laughs> Hold on. I mean, there's nothing sad, but okay. <clears throat> the lessons were short and there were many holidays for the bears believed in cultivating healthy bodies by much exercise and our short summers are best used in out of door work. Such a rosy, sunburnt, hearty set as the boys became such appetites as they had, such sturdy arms and legs as outgrew jackets and trousers, such laughing and racing all over the place, such antics in house and barn, such adventures in the tramps over hill and dale, and such satisfaction in the hearts of the worthy bears as they saw their flock prospering in mind and body, I cannot begin to describe. And I just love that because it talks, it, it's talking so much about these boys that they're making healthy. Mm -hmm. And like that they're, it's this, it's the actual, it's the act of nurturing. And like, this is the thing that they do. And it's watching these boys grow into their bodies and be wild and like be free and be, become healthy humans. Healthy and sturdy yeah. and strong. Yeah, healthy and sturdy and strong. And, and like that's their, that's them. That's all they're doing. And I just love it. So there are my, those are my three moms for you. <laughs> can I, can I tack on with one I just thought of as Please. we were talking about yeah. having for some reason, little boys as examples. And then in one of those quotes, you said something like castle on a cloud. Yeah. And it made me, here, think, yeah. made me think of Les Mis and yeah. Jean Valjean. Yes. <laughs> taking in Cosette. Yeah. And rescuing her from those terrible uh, innkeepers. Yeah. Um, who and he didn't have to do songs. any of it. Sure. He didn't have to do any of it. But Fantine, her dying wish. And he was just like, you know what? This is like I'm gonna take on this nurturing role. I, you know, he escaped from 
did he escape from prison? Now I'm like trying. So to he was escaping from prison. He had escaped from prison and became. This was like in the first chapter, and then like he became the like business, the big, right. the big factory guy, and that's where he knew Fontaine. And so he had right. been like a runaway, but like, and had then so it was like himself. right, and it was that night that he like meets that he that like Fontaine dies that Javert finds him, and he's like, yes. look, I have to go find this kid. You gotta let me go, and Javert is like, all right, fine. Which, like, let's be honest, Javert, that wasn't the smartest thing. But, like... No. <laughs> but, but right, it was something he didn't... It was something Jean Valjean didn't have to do. No. And he took in little Cosette, who... Yeah, and he didn't even have to... Like, he could have gotten her and then given her to an orphanage or something. But, like, he got her and was like, well, since you're here, I'm gonna but take care of you. But <laughs> <laughs> Because... Never mind. To love another person is to see the face face of God. God. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Dylan, also, if you haven't seen Les Mis, (laughs) it's just a good recommendation in general. It's so good. It is. I have two books to recommend that are books with female protagonists that deal both with motherhood or, or not motherhood and life not turning out how you expected and kind of figuring out your plan B based on what life serves up to you. They're very different. They take very different directions. They're in very different veins. Um, One is An American Marriage by Tiare Jones, which is such a beautiful book. It's written in the perspective, in multiple perspectives from a husband and a wife. And I don't want to give too much away about the book because I think it sets up like a pretty interesting quagmire early on so I don't really want to give anything away there but uh, certainly the theme of parenthood is present throughout in different ways and the choices people make or the consequence people have based on their circumstances are always kind of coming up so I think you would really enjoy that book Dylan and then the second book is in a much different vein it's The Misfortune of Marion Palm by Emily Culleton and Marion Palm's misfortune is that she she comes from like a kind of more working class background. She marries this wealthier man. She they live in a nice brownstone and she begins embezzling money from her children's private school. And at a relatable. certain point I'm sorry? Uh, I said relatable. Relatable, yeah. <laughs> and at a certain point, she realizes that she's going to be caught and she has to leave. And it actually, the, the book starts with the line, um, I should open up so I make sure I'm saying it correctly. The book starts with the sentence, Marion Palm is on the lamb. So we start with Marion running off. Um, and a lot of the story comes in in flashbacks or, you know, the, the exposition comes in after the fact. It's also told from multiple people's perspectives, hers, her daughters, her husbands, and some other folks. Um, And we kind of see the things that she strove for, strived for. I don't know what is the correct verb tense there. Uh, Stravat. (laughs) The things she had striven for in her youth. (laughs) And then um, the way life kind of turned out in a way that she didn't want. Um, Also, the, the author, Emily Culleton, talks a lot about how it's a really fun and funny book. It's wry and sarcastic and at times kind of like playfully mean with the characters it's a really fun book to read but uh, Emily Culleton talks about how in when she was doing interviews for this book that 
so many people wanted to ask like, well, how could a mother leave her children? So there's a lot of baggage around like what it means to be a woman and a mother, I think, coming out in this book as well. And I just want to read you a teeny tiny part of it. Um, it's from a very short chapter, which they're mostly very, very short chapters, which I also like in a book. Um, it's called Women Who Embezzle. Marion Palm is an expert on women who embezzle. She does not think of women as embezzlers. Embezzlers are men. For women, embezzlement is a practice. <laughs> women who embezzle do not live lavishly. The reason for the practice has nothing to do with status. It has to do with justice and enforced reciprocity. Women who embezzle will save the money, pay some bills, and then buy a jet ski for their family. Women who embezzle will bid extraordinary amounts on rare Victorian dolls on eBay. <laughs> women who embezzle are not apologetic, but they may cry when caught. When women who embezzle embezzle from churches, they fall to their knees and pray. They do not pray for forgiveness. They pray for safety and protection. Women who embezzle from offices do not cry, but cross their arms and stiffly smile as if to say, what did you expect? They've worked at the office for 20 years and are seen as a piece of furniture, a filing cabinet. They may be eager to be caught. They may want credit for their greed and ingenuity. So Dylan, this isn't this book isn't a one to one comparison with your experience, but um, I think if you're thinking about the ways that life can be kind of rough sometimes and give you a shit deal, and then you've got to deal with it and figure out a plan B, that um, the misfortune of Marion Palm is a fun place to go with that. In a conversation I was having with a friend probably a couple months ago, I was thinking about how frustrating it must be to be trying um, in general, and then to have it kind of just go back to square one at the end of each month that like there's no kind of sense of like we're getting further towards it and I think this uh like the Ada Limon's the carrying kind of gets it like I think shows that too where it's like things can be really great but then a month is over and then we go back to square one there's no like building of levels it's not like okay cool we're like almost pregnant now we can keep trying and get a little bit more pregnant <laughs> it's like pregnant yeah. not at the end yeah. of the month you find out you know and so it's this feeling of just like Re like reliving a failure over or quote unquote because I I mean let's back that up because I'm not saying it's a failure but I understand that it would then feel like oh it's a failure I'm now back to like there's like failing and then there's not failing it's like such a clear nope this didn't happen and then you have to start again and then another clear nope this didn't happen start again which like you then kind of when you look back at it you're not looking at it month by month you're looking at it maybe as like the 10 months between the time that you um, had you know started trying in the time that you had you know got pregnant but like when you're in the middle of it it just feels like zero 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 yeah. zero and, mm -hmm. and Dylan depending on how old you are like I know a lot of people who talk about going into trying to conceive like because I think if you're over a certain age, they say, you know, if you haven't conceived within a year, then that's when you should start to think, you know, oh, maybe I need to see a doctor and maybe I need to see. Um, but a year is a really long time to work at something and, and not see any results and not know. And if you are starting at a certain age, you already feel the pressure like, oh, maybe I've waited too late. And so you're really scrutinizing the situation from the jump mm -hmm. in a way that's unrealistic and I also feel like I have all these friends who are like, oh, my God, like when I was younger, the like sex ed I got was like, if you have sex once without a condom, you're going to get pregnant. And even like the, just the odds of getting pregnant, even for people who are young, healthy and capable, uh, fully capable of getting pregnant. It's it's not as um, it's not as likely as as the 
PSAs led us to believe. Right. <laughs> and so, because like, so our, it's like, there's still a pressurized situation. Yeah, like, uh, like everything is is like chemicals and like the right timing and that there's like, and then even not ha- not getting pregnant for like for months or for however for like because again it goes back to zero each it's like the thing of like if you flip a penny 50 times uh (laughs) then like what are the odds it's still 50 or you know still 50 50 that you're gonna get heads even though you've gotten heads 1200 times which like (laughs) obviously bringing in like actual you know like medical problems that's a whole other thing but like it still it does go back to zero just like like in probability like that so it makes you think that like there's something wrong, but it could, I mean, it's just that everything, it's not as easy as it actually seems. Like even people who are like fully quote unquote fertile, well, just and still all, isn't all the time. All the things that could be signs of early pregnancy are also signs of like coming, having periods. Yeah. Like it's, just, it's yeah, just the same thing. Cycle. And so you can drive yeah. yourself crazy paying attention to it with like, yeah. or like having, or like having the flu or right yeah <laughs> yeah can i also say just how unfair it is that the most fertile time in a woman's life is increasingly less and less the time that a woman is like psychologically and financially ready yeah <laughs> to have a child <laughs> i think it's just yeah a great injustice for women who are (laughs) just constantly pressured to be mothers and even if you want to be a mother um when you're finally ready if that's older it's just even harder even though you're in a better position in every other sense to be a mother Mm -hmm. your biology doesn't necessarily agree i just think that is one of life's cruelties yeah yeah um yeah it's like when i was thinking about like priorities it's like well if this isn't gonna happen for me then like where is like where do i want my money to go what like then you know if i do want to have kids then like maybe my money is not going to go towards you know these many 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 things i could or like or nothing i'm vaguely just saving for things but like what if i started saving for something or like what if like where you have to then kind of like make those financial sacrifices and like really think about like and like when you know and you've been working hard and you're you know everything sucks anyway the point is is the reason why i'm bringing this up is that it feels like you're going through the same thing over and over again so i have several uh, episodes of shows in which this was like a huge trope in the 90s and also in a recent show that we'll talk about um, but like I had a friend who was writing short stories and is like I'm doing this thing where I repeat a scene over and over until it gets right and I'm like and she's like well I just but then you know this but then you know Russian Doll just came out and I don't know if I can do that and I was like that's very true however 35 different shows did the like doing things over yeah the groundhog day effect which is what i have here it's called the groundhog day effect like oh you know trying to get things right in the night like it's not anything new and that like if you want to tackle it like go ahead like no one's gonna go ooh, russian doll just came out she probably can't do it like because it's that's a thing that like we all know from all these shows so there's one in buffy right anything where like things are a little bit like magical or or like uh like science, there's always going to be a, um, a time loop 
uh, episode. Mm-hmm. So like I think all of the Star Treks. Um, Star Trek Voyager is my favorite one because um, they replay the scene in the rocket ship. Let's just say ship. <laughs> they replay the scene in the ship over and over again. And then like Janeway dies and then you're upset. But then you're like, well, she can't die because this whole like she's a captain of a ship. It would be really shitty if she died. Um, so she ends up living. Spoiler alert. But there's the, you know, they kind of keep, and I think that's called Coda. Um, and I think it's like really close towards the, the beginning of the season, of like the first season too. So it's like, we're just getting to know Janeway and then they go through all this thing and then she dies and then it turns out it's an alien who's tricking her. She's dying. So on and so forth. There's an X-Files one and that one's called Monday. Um, and there's a bank robbery that like keeps occurring. And I think like Mulder keeps getting shot or something, but like something terrible keeps happening every time. And like Scully has to like figure out how to get out of this time loop or whatever. Um, And then there's, I mean, obviously Groundhog Day. There's Hmm. one in Charmed. I've never seen Charmed, but I do. I looked it up and there's one in in Charmed. Um, There's one in Star Trek Next Generation. And then there's one, and then there's Russian Doll. So, and then there's several more, but those are like my favorites. And it's this, and I know that like, there's nothing really good out of it because a lot of these are just like, we have to tackle the thing that like is really at the at the meat of all this, right? But I think like that feeling of just no matter what you are trying to do that's natural, it just keeps going back to zero when you get it wrong. Mm-hmm. And so you just have to keep replaying the same thing over again and then like changing one thing or like just keep trying this, you know, like to keep it, you know, keep it working and just keep doing a little bit different of what you've been doing. And then it just goes back to zero again. And so, but in each of them, they get out of it <laughs> because there are shows. That, yeah. But I think that that's, I don't know, that, that I've been thinking about that a lot. Um, yeah, I love About, that. like, the relationship you have with the month, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. So, Dylan, I want to suggest that you listen to Nico Case, who is maybe my favorite, but definitely one of my favorite uh, singer songwriters and I was thinking of her a lot I mean I I I listened to her a lot um and when I heard your question she immediately popped into mind especially when thinking about you're you're struggling with the idea of your narrative as a woman um and Nico Case is also someone who in her music has struggled with the narrative of being a woman, sometimes more codedly. Um, more recently, her newest album, Hell On, deals with it more explicitly. But she's also someone who, in interviews, is just so unapologetic about her shifting narrative as a woman and how much bullshit she's had to deal with like as a woman in general as a woman in an industry that is very sexist and misogynistic and I was first thought of the song from her album that came out um a few years ago uh I forget what year I think it came out I want to say like 2013 but I could be wrong but um, the album's called The Worse Things Get, The Harder I Fight, The Harder I Fight, The More I Love You. Mm-hmm. And the song is called Man, um, yeah. which is just like an anthem of the album. It's a really good album. Um, 
It's not my favorite of her albums, but that's okay. That's a whole other podcast. That's the Nico Case pod- <laughs> podcast. Um, but the kind of chorus of this song, um, let me let me read it to you. Um, is I'm a man. That's what you raised me to be. I'm not an identity crisis. This was planned. Anyway, but essentially, this is Nico Case's anthem on this album of basically trying to subvert like all of the pressures of gender and that you know in in America especially like everybody wants to remind you that you're a girl and she's like and I'm not and I don't have to be if if I don't want to like I don't think of being a girl in that way of that society treats girls. And so she talks about, like, I'm a man. It's what kind of animal I am. It's 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 that simple. And she talks about, like, in this in this interview, and I forget if it's either, like, the Rolling, Rolling Stone or, or some other interview. She's just like, you know, I grew up in an era that sort of went out of its way to show little girls as, like, firemen and things like things like that and she's like and we don't have to hash it out and make it like fire woman or fire person and then she says this thing and she goes is a lioness not a lion motherfucker (laughs) and i'm just like that is a good that's a good way to be that's a good way to think of this is all over the place dylan but um that's a grace like personal motto yeah as a lioness not a lion motherfucker like is an actress not an actor is like i mean like like the term songstress i've heard i'm just like what what is this bullshit (laughs) but she's just in this song she's like i'm a man yeah that's (laughs) it reminds me of that that share quote when she like there's like that thing that Cher said she's like my mom kept asking me like what am I going to settle down with a rich man and she goes mom I am oh, a rich I man am. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I'm not rich though so it doesn't matter <laughs> <laughs> so I recommend Nico Case and I recommend that song as like a really good anthem as like your narrative as a woman is whatever you want it to be and then in Nico Case's newest album, which is called Hell On, she basically what she says, like when she wrote this record, she was really depressed. She was coming out of that. She had been dealing with a stalker for a really long time. She's like, I felt mentally unhinged. I just was not a pleasant person to be around. And she was, she was basically like, all right, I've got to know, when in history did we start hating women? When did this happen? And she wanted to write an album that really kind of confronted um, societal ideas of women and womanhood as the things we've been talking about, like women as vessels, women having like a singular purpose. Um... And she talks about how this new album, which is amazing, again, it's called Hell On, was inspired by this book that she read called The Amazons, The Lives and Legends of Warrior Women Across the Ancient World. 
by Adrian Mayer. And it basically retraces the unsung contributions that women have made to ancient history and societies that were more matriarchal and merit was based on your abilities, not your gender. Um, and that's sort of where this album sprang from. And she's essentially saying, like, women helped form civilization. It's still ours to go and reclaim. Um, and we can kind of bust this myth that women have these, like, singularly dis designed functions. Dylan, I think, Nico Case is just a really empowering um, musician to listen to. She has a lot of, she has a lot to say about rewriting your narrative as a woman and struggling with those different narratives. Um, but also in this newest album, kind of like kicking them in the balls a little bit. And, uh, and then making fun of them. Yeah. Also, just like reading interviews with her, she's just like, she just like lays everything out there. Just listen to Nico Case. I also have a, a music recommendation. Perfect. Funnily, I don't. I know. We, I, 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 I think it's the I first time out, that yeah. we've kind of saved music for late in the show, but I'm glad that we did. I really want to recommend that you listen to the Dixie Chicks, Dylan. And. This is in some ways very easy because I feel like the Dixie Chicks help any situation. <laughs> but I do think they write a lot about, write and sing a lot about um, kind of those difficult aspects of being a woman. And I think they have very famously been criticized women in on the global stage, mm -hmm. <laughs> or at least national stage. And um, they do write a lot about motherhood and families and things like that as well as in a really great country tradition, writing about disappointment and heartbreak and like things not working out how you, how you thought they would. And so I think that there are a lot of sad songs by the Dixie Chicks that you can listen to. And sometimes when you are sad, you want to listen to sad songs that will let you have a cry or feel the things you're feeling. Um, I think great recommendations in that vein are um, the song Heartbreak Town is such a beautiful song it's one of my favorite Dixie Chick songs and it talks about like really striving for something that doesn't really uh, work out and I think also um, Top of the World is a really beautiful cover they do that's a little less um, it's more about regret but it's also about like life not, not going the way you thought and those are just good Dixie Chick songs that will let you kind of think about maybe some aspects of your situation and have a good cry. And then you can turn around and listen to some other Dixie Chick songs that are really happy <laughs> and upbeat and strong and, um, and like just fun as hell. Because I think sometimes when you're sad and dealing with something, that's what you want. And so the Dixie Chicks will offer you the full range of musical experience, I think, for this. Um, and they're upbeat happy songs I would recommend um, there's one called Sin Wagon that's just really fun it's not a better and song <laughs> say what I just said it's not a better song it's so fun it's yeah I mean it's just it's just like a really like the, the fiddle goes crazy in this song you're gonna feel really like dancing um, it's 
it's just kind of like I'm gonna go out and raise hell is sort of the 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 message of the song I would guess and then also some classics like cowboy take me away it's like a nice mm-hmm. fun beautiful song um so yeah I just think the Dixie Chicks would make you feel really heard and understood as a woman in various modes right now it is funny how like it sounds really basic but I have had the most like emotional transformative like transformational I don't know if those two words are the same but like experiences just by like turning down a window or turning rolling down a window I don't know how to talk anymore (laughs) just by like rolling down a window and singing to a Dixie Chick song that's because they write really well and even if it's like even if it's something like Cowboy Take Me Away it's just it's just they're so good yeah, in that song, Cowboy Take Me Away, I feel like is a song that people may joke about or may have joked about at some point. But listening to the lyrics of that song, it's stuff like, I want to be the only one for miles and miles except for maybe you and your simple mm-hmm. smile. Like, that's just, that's beautiful songwriting. It's great stuff. So it is. So I, I turn to the, I, I turn to Dixie Chicks in times of need. And so that's yeah. why I would recommend. Wide Open Spaces. Things. Yeah, Wide Open Spaces has... Uh, helped me through quite a few uh, quite a few yeah. times. <laughs> yeah, me too. It's even surreptitiously written in a poem. <laughs> yeah, nothing, nothing the Dixie Chicks can't solve, I'd say. No. <laughs> that's so, gosh, Caroline, that's a really good, it's a really good oh, recommendation. So I have a poem that I guess uh, is probably we can end with because I think it kind of, it ties a few things together. I think that this poem is so much about the quietness of waiting for something to happen or kind of that stasis in between plan A and plan B. Um, And I think especially because um, you kind of mentioned that like you have a partner that you're trying with and that it's kind of like, I think it's not just on you. And I think it's important to remember that too, that like you have that person that you can kind of share with and 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 sit and listen with and I think this poem is so much to me about kind of when what happens when kind of shit hits the fan or when shit isn't hitting the fan but like what happens when kind of things don't go your way or when things are just kind of being thwarted continually what do you do and who do you kind of count on and what are your what are your plans and to me that's like I'll read the poem and then I'll tell you why (laughs) um And so this is called uh, In the Meantime by Lisa Olstein. What seemed a mystery was in fact a choice. Insert bird for sorrow. What seemed a memory was in fact a dividing line. Insert bird for wind. Insert wind for departure when everyone is standing still. Insert three mountains burning and in three valleys a signal seer seeing a distant light and a signal bearer sprinting to a far off bell. What seemed a promise was in fact a sigh. What seemed a hot wind, a not quite enough, a forgive me, it has flown away, is in fact. In the meantime, we paint the floors red. We stroke the sound of certain names into a fine floss that drifts across our teeth. We stay in the room we share and listen all night to what drifts through the window, dog growl, owl call, a fleet of mosquitoes setting sail, and down the road, the swish of tomorrow's donkey-threshed grain. And so to me, that poem is kind of, is sitting and listening and kind of taking stock of what is there that you may not have kind of either paid attention to before or what you have. And it's not even kind of this like, oh, be grateful for what you have, but just 
I like this idea of just sitting in a room, which really what is a room but an open space that like is empty until you have walls with around it, where it's you and this other person sitting, um, sharing it, sharing this space and not really, not expecting too much from it and just sitting there and letting it happen and kind of taking in the senses and, and experiencing all of that with this person and listening and, uh, and just taking it in because it's all happening and whether there's going to be the swish of tomorrow's donkey grain or what kind of donkey grain that's going to be I think just kind of sitting and shut up (laughs) I think just kind of sitting and um and these you know these are these are the little things that you can do and think about and care and nurture for in the meantime signing off I'm Gail Thompson (laughs) yeah that's such a great way I think to kind of wrap up this conversation for Dylan so I agree yeah thank you um so best of luck dylan yeah dylan lots of love to you and to all of you out there listening to now that we're friends this is our final episode of this season we're going to have some bonus content coming your way and then we'll be back with the second season pretty soon not too long from now um and so yeah so Stay subscribed. See you soon. Rate, review, subscribe. See you soon. (laughs) Yeah, rate, review, subscribe, listen, share with friends. Tell your moms. Tell your friends. Keep sending questions in the interval between this season and next. We'll definitely still need to get some questions. So that's uh, keep all that stuff up. And follow. Oh, yeah. Never mind. Forget all that. Sorry. (laughs) I was going to say follow us on Instagram. (laughs) Yeah. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Facebook etc all the medias and yeah we'll be dropping bonus goodies in your feed yay stay tuned see you soon (laughs) see you soon now that we're friends was recorded in front of a live studio audience made up entirely of our pets your hosts and three new friends are caroline cabrera ann holmes and gail thompson our producer is lisanne mirrorball ramos our theme music is provided by gail thompson now That We're Friends is an Oh Miami production. If you want to ask us for advice to receive our recommendations, you can send a voice memo or written email to newfriend at omiami.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at NTWF Podcast. Mm-hmm.